1999 with uh, the conversion of Saul, who later became Paul. And I wanted to get just look at one verse and then jump into something else from this. But uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, down in verse... Uh, well, let's just let's start with, with 19. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I don't know what Tim covered, but I love this passage. Saul gets saved and immediately starts telling people about Jesus. That's normal Christianity. In case you didn't know, that's, that's a normal way. The Christians respond to salvation is, I found Jesus and Jesus found me and I got to tell you everything I know about Jesus. It's also interesting that Saul, who had been persecuting Jesus, now began to preach for him. How did he know what to preach? How did Saul, who got converted, know how to preach about Jesus? Now, Jesus died around 30 A.D. Paul was converted supposedly around 37 A.D. So there was seven years from the time that Jesus died and rose again from the time that Paul was converted, approximately. And he's, he's, preaching about, he's preaching about Jesus. So it makes me wonder how much he had learned about Jesus while Jesus was still walking around. Because they had to be contemporaries, right? 30, 37, seven years. So they probably knew each other, knew of each other. There was some, some information out there. <clears throat> but he starts preaching the gospel to people, the same gospel he persecuted. He started preaching against it. What did he preach? And I want to talk about that in just a minute. It says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who, who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners uh, to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. Now, was, did Saul grow powerful weightlifting? Did, did he look like Melanda? <clears throat> no, he, he looked more like Jim, right? And so... <laughs> He's talking about powerful in spirit, yeah. right? Powerful in presence, powerful in his knowledge. He, he grew in power where it matters, right? In the kingdom, that is spiritual power, spiritual knowledge, spiritual understanding, right? And uh, he grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ, which means Messiah, the, the chosen one. That meant Paul had to know his Old Testament <laughs> because the Old Testament talked about Messiah, the one to come, the New Testament hadn't been written, obviously. And so he couldn't have been learning about Messiah from the New Testament. He had learned it from the Old Testament. So obviously he was a good Pharisee, a good Jew. Uh, he, he knew the Old Testament. And so he began looking at the Scriptures saying, well, this pointed to Jesus. Why didn't I see that? This pointed to Jesus. Duh, why didn't I see that? He kept going back through the Scriptures realizing oh, it's been here all along. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Now, here's a Jew, Paul, who'd been killing Christians, and now the Jews wanted to kill him. Why were they wanting to kill him? For the same reason they killed Jesus, because he taught the good news. And we're confused about what the good news is, and I want to get to that this morning. We're confused about what the good news really is, and that's why he was persecuted. Well, it continues on. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but even they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him in. And brought him to the apostles. Barnabas means, of course, son of encouragement. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him. Uh, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved freely with, uh, about Jerusalem freely, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. It was those Grecian Jews again, right? We, we talked about them in Acts chapter 6. 
when I told that really bad joke, I'm not going to tell it this morning. But uh, the Grecian Jews uh, were having a problem with Paul also. They even tried to kill him. Not the Jewish Jews, but the, the Jews that came out of the Greek-speaking people, the Gentiles who had converted into it. So here's what I want to get to. What was it that Paul was saying that made people want to kill him? As I've already said, it's the good news. And, and why were these Grecian Jews so upset? Because they were Gentiles who had been converted. And here's the problem. They had become legalists. They had become legalists, Pharisees, if you will, in their thinking that you had to live up to the law to be saved. The 613 laws listed in the Old Testament, plus a bunch of others they'd added. Their thinking was you had to live up to each one of those, you'd be saved. Remember, Jesus talked about that. <clears throat> he taught, he confronted the Jews, he said, Here you are trying to get a speck of, uh, of dust out of someone else's eye. In other words, correct them for a minor sin, if you will. <clears throat> when you got a telephone pole sticking out of your own eye, right? And that was the problem with the Jewish people. They, Jesus even said, you put, you put heavy weights on the backs of people. And he's talking about the laws. You keep burning them down. Yet you don't even obey your own laws. So they were, they were hypocrites. And the good news is, <clears throat> there's absolutely nothing you can do to obey any law to be saved. There's absolutely nothing you can do. There's no amount of laws and rules and regulations that you can do and achieve and be saved. That's the good news. If it wasn't, it would be bad news because you'd all be in trouble. Because somebody in here had a Krispy Kreme donut this week. And we know that's against Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin Don they just opened up a new Dunkin' Donut place, right? So you, you went and tried one of those. I went by, there was nobody there. Everybody's still at Krispy Kreme. They haven't heard yet. <laughs> <clears throat> but all of us sinned this week. All of us committed a sin this week. Some way. Bad thought, bad attitude. We got on Highway 24. We sinned a lot there, right? Both ways. There's none good, no, not one, it says in the Bible. There's none righteous. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which is Jesus, right? The glory of God is Jesus. We've all fallen short of what he did. So here's the good news. Jesus came and said, Father, they don't get it. They'll never get it. They, they can't match up with this. They can't fulfill these laws. I'll do it. That's the good news. So Jesus came. He fulfilled every one of the laws, all 613, plus a cabillion more that we don't know about, right? Right? He fulfilled all of them. The Bible says he filled them full. Actually, is the Greek word for it. He filled them full. Okay, Father, I filled that one up. I filled that one up. I filled that one up. I, I filled that one up. I took care of it. So he took care of all of them. And the Father said, that's great. Now, what's the arrangement going to be? And the Father said, well, Jesus said, well, Father... Um, uh, if they'll just have a relationship with me, uh, that'll take care of their sins. The Father said, that's a deal. So our salvation is through Jesus. Our relationship, our contract, if you will, our covenant, if you will, is not with the Father. If it was, we'd have to match up with the 613 laws right. plus others. Right. So my contract, my covenant, the new covenant, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament, right? The New Covenant I have is, is a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the one that holds the covenant with the Father. And here's the good news. Jesus has the covenant with the Father. I don't have to carry that covenant. 
Aren't you glad? I can now have a relationship. Watch this. I can now have a relationship with the Father without having to worry about my sins. How many of you, when you did something wrong, hated to go see your daddy? <laughs> my daddy, you could hear the belt coming through the loops. Flap, 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 flap. That look, whatever it was, right? Bam. How many of you loved it when you and the father had a, a great relationship? It was a great day. Did you like that? Maybe some of you didn't have a lot of that, and I'm sorry if you didn't. But, but if you did, that was beautiful, right? You have that every day with the heavenly father. Because of Jesus. You see, you are now hidden in Christ. Which means all of your sins are hidden in Christ. Right? If, if you are in Christ, then everything's hidden in Christ. Your sins were hidden in Christ when he hung on the cross and died for them. Here's another fine point, a little technical point. The cross didn't do anything for you. The piece of wood... That Jesus hung on, or, or pieces of wood that Jesus hung on, didn't do anything for you. We sing a lot of songs about the cross, right? Beautiful songs, when I survey the wonders cross, and so forth and so on, I'll cling to the cross. The piece of wood did nothing for you. It was the person on the wood that did everything for you. Right? He took the sins into himself. The cross, the piece of wood, didn't take anything into it but the nails that pierced his hands and his feet. And it's just a little fine technical point. So when we say we're going to cling to the cross, make sure we understand we're seeing about the symbol of Jesus dying on the cross. Right? Not the actual wood itself. Because if we are singing to the wood, what does that now become? Right. It's an idol. It's an idol. So Jesus died on the cross. All of our sin, sickness, sorrow, death, everything bad you can imagine. He took into himself. That's why he's the bravest man I know. Jesus is the bravest man that I know. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take all y'all sins into myself and say, okay, I'll take all that and I'll go to the cross. I'm not that brave. Do you know what that would feel like? Do you know the pain of that? Anybody have a headache this week? Anybody have a migraine this week? Anybody have a migraine this year? I see those hands go. Y'all have been sick all week long. What's wrong with y'all girls? Y'all are teenagers. You're raising your hand for everything. Did you have arthritis this week? I'm talking to the teenagers. Y'all put your hands down. I'm just checking. They kept raising their hands back there. Bless their hearts. Just think about one migraine. Have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? I have. All that, all of that, all of that Jesus took into himself. You ever had shoulder surgery? Not yet. Check back next week. That was in Jesus too. That's the good news. And so Paul's preaching that. And he's telling these Greek Jews and these Jewish Jews. Hey, you, you, you can't live up. You, you cannot live up to it. And so what sermon would he have preached? I think he would have preached the book of Romans. I, I think if you want to know what Paul's sermon and I'm not going to preach the whole book of Romans. Aren't you glad? Because it could take a while this morning. But I think if you were to listen to a sermon by Paul, it would be the whole book of Romans. 
And I think back in the day, they would have listened for six hours or whatever it took for him to, to read this and talk through it. Romans uh, <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 21. Now let's back up. Let's back up to 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. Romans 3, 9. Uh, so Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under, are all under sin. So all, all people are under sin. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And ruin and misery mark their ways. And the ways of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law so that every mouth may be silenced. And the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous by his sight, in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law is a school teacher. Paul goes on to say somewhere else, it's a school teacher said, that's a sin, that's not a sin. That's a sin, that's not a sin. That's what the law is for. However, verse 21, but now righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This is what really made the Jews mad, whether they were Jewish Jews or Greek Jews. Is He said, there's something more than the law. And that's all they had known for 2,000 years. Remember, for the first 2,000 years, approximately, right, from Adam to Moses, people lived under, under mercy. The Bible says God winked. He winked at their sin, <coughs> lived under mercy. For the next 2,000 years, approximately, man lived under the law. Right? From Moses to Jesus. For the last 2,000 years, approximately, we've lived under grace. So, there's mercy for 2,000 years. There's the law for 2,000 years. And now we live under the era of grace. Right? This period, this time frame of grace. When Paul started saying that the, the time frame of the law was over, that just ruined their lives. It would be for us, on a scale of saying, okay, cell phones don't work anymore. <laughs> or the government coming down and saying, I'm sorry, you can't drive a car anymore. And you can't have a cell phone anymore. And we're going to take your house away from you. How would you feel about those three things? Your house, your car, and your cell phone got taken away. How would you feel? Life yeah, life is over. Right, Exactly. And that's how these Jewish people were feeling when Paul said, look, all this is over. This is done. They go, what? This, I've lived my life trying to measure up. You, you, huh? What? You mean I don't, have to me I don't have to measure up anymore? One person did that for me? Yes. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Now, let's read it the way that we tend to read it in our own lives. This righteousness comes from God through works that we do for God and believe in Jesus. Isn't that how we live our lives? Isn't that the relationship we think we have? That we have to work, 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 work for Jesus 
so that he'll sit down and have a conversation with us. Right? You know, the, the Catholic Church, as it is today and as it was, has been for several thousand years, whatever the actual beginning of it was. It's debatable, but it's not important. But you know, if you, if you mess up and you're in the Catholic Church, you go see the priest, right? And he, he tells you something to do to get back in God's good favor. You say some Hail Marys, Hail Mary, Mother of God, you know, so forth. Or you say some Our Fathers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he says, say seven of these or six of those or do, or do some other things. And, and you'll be back in God's good grace, right? And so the Protestants, those who protested, Protestants were protested. 1517 is the, the big number. We broke off from the Catholic Church. All we became was Catholic light as Protestants. That's, that's what you are. You're Protestants, right? You're not Catholics. You're Protestants. We became Catholic light, right? And that we, we did away with a few of the things that the Catholic Church did and said, but it's still about works. Come to church, right? Read your Bible. All good things. But we made this list, and if I just match up with this list, oh, you've got to read the right Bible, the King James Version. <laughs> or you will go straight to hell. The next time somebody asks you or tells you that King James Version is the only version you're supposed to read, say, that's great. Can I see your Bible? Sure. And let them open their Bible up. Look on the, the copyright page. That's the first couple of pages you'll find. And say, so the King James Version, you're, that's the one you're reading, right? Yeah, that's the one I'm reading. The original King James, the original King James Version. Open it up and look at the copyright date on the inside. It'll say copyright and it'll be a date. This one's 1973 in this particular NIV version that I have. And you'll read something like 1878 or 19-something. And then you ask them this question. Well, wasn't the original King James Version written in 1611? And just be quiet. There's not a person in this room, including me, right? None of us. that can read a 1611 version of the King James. Because it's written in Elizabethan English. Whithersoever thou goest. On this fair day. It's Shakespeare. That's, that's who Shakespeare was, right? Back in the day, that's the same, same language he spoke. They're not reading from the original King James Version. They're reading from a translation of the original King James Version. Anyway, I digress. You don't have to read that version to be saved. You don't have to be baptized in a baptistry in a church to be baptized according to Scripture. You can get baptized in a puddle of water on the side of the road if you want to be. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. He said, there's a puddle of water. Can I get baptized? <laughs> Done. You see, we've, we've lived our lives as Christians, Catholic light. And that's our fault. That's not the Catholic's fault. That's our fault. We've chosen to still give people rules and regulations to follow. And we've taught them if they'll just manage their sins... God will like them better. And so we have a whole sin management process. So you get a bunch of men together, and we have an accountability group, and we look at the man, and we say, okay, Melinda, tell me what you thought about this week. I want to know on Monday, did you, did you, did you think about another woman? I, I want to know, did you? Did you? <laughs> Hit him, Brenda. Hit him. I want, I want to know, did you, did you watch something on TV you weren't supposed to watch? I want to, we go down through the list, and in a men's group having accountability and wanting to know, 
managing our sin, when I should look at Melinda and say, Melinda, what did Jesus tell you this week? What did you learn about Jesus this week? Right? Right? How did the Spirit move in your life this week? Let me tell you how the Spirit moved in my life this week. Just, just one incident. I was eating out with a, with a friend. And uh, he also moves in the Spirit. He hears things from the Holy Spirit, as I do, and as you all do. And we're, we're eating, and I'm, I've got my, I'm facing the, the front of the, the establishment. And so I'm seeing people move around. I'm seeing this, this, this server move around, this young lady move around. And the Spirit just kept saying, you need to pray for her. You need to pray for her. So I'm having the conversation with my friend, and I'm praying in my mind, in my spirit for her while we're having this conversation. And I eventually told him, I said, I said, look, I, the Spirit's just really impressing upon me that I'm supposed to pray for her. And if she comes back this way, I'm going to pray for her because she's really, really busy. And uh, he said, I got it. And I said, so if I, if I turn from you and look at her, he said, I'm with you. And so... Uh, <clears throat> I said, let's just pray right now. So we prayed just a quick prayer that the Holy Spirit would guide us. Sure enough, she came back my way right after that prayer. <clears throat> and uh, I asked her her name. She told me. And uh, I said, Sarah. That's not her name. I said, Sarah. I said, I've been watching you. And the Spirit has told me to pray for you. I need to know, are you okay? Are, are, are you okay? Is, is everything all right? She said, well, I'm just going through some personal things. I said, Okay. Is there anything specific that we can pray for? I said, my friend and I like to pray. Is there anything specific I can pray for? No, just some really personal things. I said, okay, well, we're going to pray while you go about your day. So she went about her day, and we started praying instantly. My friend said, it's her mother. It's her mother. It's, it's the issue. I said, okay. When she comes back, we'll ask her. Sure enough, she wandered back. And he said, called her by her name, Sarah. He said, Sarah, is it, is it your mother? Said, How did y'all know? How did y'all know? Yes, her mother's dealing with, with alcoholism. And this is a, she's probably 18, 19 years old, right? Dealing with that. And so we said, now we know how to pray specifically. And so we prayed more for her. See, that's the life we're supposed to live. It's not about how many rules did we match up with this week. It's, my conversation with you needs to be what did Jesus tell you this week? What, how did the Holy Spirit use you this week? That, that's where the life of Christ is. Right? Let's see what it says. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Not to the chosen, not to some, not to, to a person who happens to be a Baptist or Methodist or Catholic. It, it comes through faith in all who believe. There's no difference, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, right? And are now justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? On what principle? On that observing the law? No, but on faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by his works. You know what it says? Right. Right. So 
take the works righteousness out of your life. Get, get that off of your back. It says, we maintain that a man is justified by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by his, this faith? Not at all. Rather, we, we uphold the law. No, he's saying it's, it's good to live like this, but that's not what saves you. It's not what saves you. So here, here are two, two thoughts, two critical thoughts for you. And these are theological presuppositions that are foundational to everything we believe as Christians. The first one is, your sins condemned you to hell. But second one is this, your sins won't send you to hell. It's a strong distinction here. We, we get them confused sometimes. Your sins will condemn you to hell, but your sins won't send you to hell. Let me give you an illustration. So let's say yesterday I was driving down the road and it's a football game on, right? And my Georgia Bulldogs, right, were whooping up on the Missouri Tigers, right? And it was really getting good. You know, that third quarter they were scoring touchdowns left and right. And I'm in the car driving down the road, and I get excited. Come on, dogs, come on. And I ease down on that gas pedal, right? And I ease down a little bit more because I'm excited and I'm not paying attention. And all of a sudden the blue lights come on. And they pulled me over. And the officer says, sir, do you know how fast you're going? I said, no, I was listening to the game. I don't. He said, well, you were going 75 and a 65. I'm so sorry. So I'm about to write you a ticket. So write me the ticket. And so he writes me the ticket out, right? $150. I look at the ticket. He says, you got to go to court for this. So I show up in court. And I've got the ticket. And George goes with me, right? So George and I, because George really likes me. And so we're standing there, and the judge says, uh, were you speeding? And I say, yes, sir, because I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie and say, well, no, somebody else was driving the car. Or, you know, the officer was wrong. No, I was speeding. Yes, sir, I was speeding. He said, well, that would be $150. And I said, well, I don't have $150. He said, well, that would be 30 days in jail. Okay? So my sins condemned me. The judge condemned me because I have sinned, right? Sinned. And so I'm standing there pleading with the judge. I said, look, I'm really important. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. <laughs> Rock Springs Church. I, I got a lot of stuff to do. He says, I'm sorry, $150, 30 days in jail, which is going to be. I said, I don't have $150. He said, 30 days in jail. So he looks at the, the sheriff over there and says, well, come take him to jail. I'm like, oh, I can't go to jail. I got things to do. Well, George is sitting there listening to the whole conversation. George reaches in his pocket, pulls out his billfold, gives the judge $150. Judge pops his gallon, says, case closed. George had paid the fine. Now, who was guilty of the sin? That'd be me, right? Because I was speeding. Who paid the fine? Generous George. Right? Right? Generous George. Generous Jesus paid the fine. That's why I can tell you that your sins have already condemned you to hell. However, your sins won't send you to hell because Jesus has already paid for it. He stepped in and said, I've got this. I'll pay for the sin. So you can never tell anybody your sins will send you to hell. You can't even tell yourself that. Because if your sins are in Jesus Christ, 
And the judge is sitting at the judgment seat looking at you. He can't see your sins because they're in Jesus. God chooses not to have x-ray vision to look into his son to see your sins. Because the covenant, the New Testament, the new contract I have is not with the Father to look at my sins. It's with a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus simply looks at the Father and says, uh, Jim's mine. The Father doesn't even know I've sinned, right? Because the sin is in Jesus, in essence. God knows everything. But when I'm standing in the judgment seat, right? Jesus got my sins. So it's okay to tell someone your sins have already condemned you to hell. There's none good. There's no not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? But your sins won't send you to hell if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. Now here's the truth. Seven billion people in the world, God didn't see any of their sins. For God so loved the whole world, whole world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So when we're in this 2,000, 2,000, 2,000 period of grace, God doesn't see the sins of the world. Because of the contract he and his son have. Jesus says, I've got this. Now our decision is, the ultimate decision is, before we meet the Father face to face, the judgment says, what am I going to do with Jesus? Am I going to accept him and say, Jesus, I, I believe you're God's son. Not live up to all these rules and regulations. Or am I going to reject him? It's real simple. It's two choices. Accept, reject. Right? You can reject him all of your life here. And your sins are still in Jesus all of your life. But at the end of your life, if you're still rejecting Jesus, then you're going to meet the Father at the judgment seat with your, all of your sins with you. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're going to meet the Father at the judgment seat in Jesus because you're still in Jesus. That's why Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now... Come on, right? There's no condemnation. Now, there's a lot more I can say about this. Our time is up. But chapter 5 and chapter 6, well, 7, 8, 9, 10, they're, they're all great. But chapter 5 is a really great chapter for you to read more about it. If you want to read more about what I'm talking about this morning, our time is up. But, but that's in Romans chapter 5. The, the whole chapter is it's an amazing chapter. Read it. Study it. Take it apart. Make notes. Get a commentary. Call me and say, I've got a question. Uh, the scripture we saw just a moment ago said that he made an atonement. Okay? Now that, that's, it's a big word. It has several meanings. But the bottom line for us is it's a covering for our sin. Right? And it says in Hebrews chapter 8, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, he will remember our sins no more. That's why your sins won't send you to hell. It's because he remembers them no more. Psalm 130, uh, excuse me, Psalm 103, 12. 
our sins have cast as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. That's the good news. And that's why Jesus gave all of us the commission, not just preachers, every one of us in the room, teenagers, children, adults, we're all given the commission, Matthew 28, go ye therefore and disciple the nations. Simply tell them the good news. He didn't commission us to go and win everybody to Jesus. That's, that's not, although that's what the end result will be. The end result is just go tell them the good news. That's what discipleship is. Just simply tell them the good news. Tell them the good news. That's discipling them. You don't need a 25, a 30-page book, right, to tell somebody that. <coughs> just simply take the scripture, open it up, and start with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, falling short of the glory of God. 10.13, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? Chapter 5, it's a great chapter, right? When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Chapter 5. So go disciple somebody this week, somebody that you know that's struggling with measuring up to God because they are. They're tired of it. And, and, and the church, we in the church have done a good job of making it about rules and regulations, sin management. Instead of magnifying the Savior, we've magnified our sin. And, you know, God forgive us for doing that. But when you magnify the Savior in your life, the sins just kind of leave. They just, they just don't want to hang around anymore. The more light you shine on darkness, the less darkness there is. The more you magnify the Savior in your life by talking about Him, by trusting in Him, just... And that's not a formula to trust in him. It's just Jesus, I just believe you're God's son. The more we magnify Jesus in our lives, in our thoughts, and in our words, the less sin we have in our life. We just don't want to sin. Right? Amen? So let's, let's pray. And then we're going to magnify Jesus by sharing the Lord's Supper together. Father, I thank you that. Wow, Father, I thank you. You are just the most benevolent, benevolent God that we can even imagine. You give and you give and you give. You're just so benevolent. Jesus, you're, you are the bravest. You are the bravest person I know taking all of our sin and sickness and sorrow and death and pain into yourself so that we could be set free from those things and healed and delivered. Thank you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you are absolutely brilliant. You're absolutely brilliant. And so I ask Holy Spirit to come reveal your brilliance to us this morning. What have we come here with? Heavy heart, a joyful heart, sad heart, a nervous, anxious heart, a doubting heart. Holy Spirit, just come be brilliant in our lives. Give us, give us that that we need today. To understand you better, to understand Jesus and the Father better, to, to, to clear up the interference in the relationship that we have, whatever it is, Holy Spirit, just come have your way, Holy Spirit. Please come now and be who you are to us. We invite you, we invite you, we welcome you into our hearts and our lives and our minds. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way with us as we share communion together. Let us see Jesus and taste Jesus and know Jesus more than ever before in the tasting 
of this communion. And Father, I pray for those who have physical illness this morning. I hear you saying to pray for healing, even as we share communion together. May there be complete healing and restoration of bodies, body parts. Come, Holy Spirit, you, you can do that. Father, you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You can heal anything, even a broken heart. So here we are, Holy Spirit. We lay all this before you, our brokenness. And we ask you come put the pieces together, every piece of the puzzle. Don't hold anything back, Holy Spirit. Come now, we invite you, we welcome you. And we say thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, Emmanuel, we pray.